Welcome to SBME Interfaces. Our goal with this show is to introduce you to the people that interface with biomedical engineering from students and faculty to staff and industry and everyone in between. BME is a broad field that encompasses so many different perspectives, journeys, skill sets, and backgrounds, and we are excited to share them all with you. We're very excited today to be interfacing with Aninia Mukherjee-Reed. She's the Provost and Vice President of Academic at UBCO and Professor in the Department of Economics, Philosophy and Political Science. She's also the Co-Executive Lead for Anti-Racism at UBC. Prior, prior to moving to the West Coast, she spent two decades at York University in Toronto as a Dean of Faculty of Liberal Arts and Professional Studies, served as Associate VP Research, and also as the Chair of the Department of Political Science. And she earned her doctoral degree in political economy, political economy and public policy from the University of Southern California as a mouthful, and BA and MA degrees in economics from Jawadpur University, India. Her scholarly work, especially since 2008, has sought to contribute to theories of alternative development with a focus on theme of justice. She's contributed to discourse in the fields of development, public policy, translational justice, corporate governance, and gender studies. She's an avid lover of poetry, passion promoting works of Asian, Asia's first Nobel laureate, the poet and philosopher Rabindra Tagore. Welcome, Ananya. Thank you. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, uh, welcome. And um, I'm very, very excited to speak with you. Uh, I have uh, followed you since I started at, uh, at SBME. Uh, so first and foremost, I would really, really love to get your perspective on how you've seen the past 13 or 14 months, the opportunities for change that have exposed themselves and, uh, and even how that has impacted your work and research. Mm -hmm. So it's impacted me, you know, like most people in, in a very profound way. But in terms of the changes, what I think of uh, the last 13, 14 months is it is, it is a moment of reckoning we all have understood that we cannot go on as, as we were and we cannot be in denial and we cannot just say, well, change is difficult and let's just um, make peace with the fact that change doesn't come easily. I think that moment has passed. So, but it is, just as it is a moment of reckoning, it is also a moment of great hope because we have seen how, you know, globally and everywhere that we live, there is a constant outpouring of voices. People are raising their voices, seeking change, um, you know, taking a lot of risks to um uh, ask for change. And what I've particularly seen in universities is the students have uh, spoken up uh, and, you know, uh, come forward with uh, describing their personal experiences, which are very difficult to talk about, and also really asking for change and putting out that expectation that uh, institutions like universities can no longer just stand by and watch, right? Mm -hmm. So that has uh, impacted all of us deeply and certainly uh, me. And then, you know, coming to UBC and then uh, having had the role at UBC Okanagan plus kind of a system-wide role 
um, uh, which I share with my colleague Ainsley Carey, that has also uh, really sort of uh, constantly both challenged me and inspired me to think of what we could do differently. Um, and yes, it has absolutely uh, profoundly affected my work. Um, so uh, just before coming to UBCO in um, 2018, I started on this uh, project on universities and its role in social change, particularly in terms of social inequality. So this is, uh, you know, the, the uh, circumstances currently are... Uh, uh, have become a very important part of that. And the pandemic has added uh, yet another dimension uh, to that. And, you know, where I come from in India, as you know, that the pandemic is taking a particularly um, violent and vicious form. And so that is also um, making us think in, in very different ways about uh, what is wrong and what needs to be fixed. Yeah. Well said. Um, so what drew you to move across the country to the West Coast and beyond the leadership role at UBC? Uh, so I moved to Canada in 1995, and then I lived in Toronto for 23 years. And then I have been thinking for a while that, you know, I am an immigrant to Canada. And I've seen only one province and worked at one university. And I really wanted to see a different part of, of Canada and live and work. And also because higher education is a provincial matter, I wanted to see how different relationships uh, work, how universities function under different provincial priorities and systems. And the other thing was the, uh, particularly in British Columbia, the relationship with the indigenous communities. And that's one of the things with the um, uh, UBC Okanagan campus that was very uh, attractive to me from the beginning. I felt that it would give me a a different kind of knowledge and engagement and I would be able to learn and work, uh, learn from and work with uh, Indigenous partners and that was a big reason for me to uh, want to move and leave my 23 years of home and place of work and everything else. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your leadership role at UBCO? Yes, so the, the role I have is of provost and vice president academic, right? And a lot of people ask me what that is. So basically, it is really, uh, you know, supporting the mission of the university in teaching and research. So most of that work is done in faculties under, under the leadership of deans and by our um, uh, the, the scholars and faculty members and the students. But there is, you know, because the university is after all um, a, 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 an organization which uh, 
uh, all of that work of teaching and research needs to take place under some organizational framework and needs support. And that is the provost role to, to support, enable, enhance as much as we could uh, the, uh, the academic mission. And when I came to uh, UBC Okanagan, that was a very exciting point in time. We were just venturing into creating this 20 year vision, which we have now come to call Outlook 2040. And I was able to really immerse, that was uh, my first, um, assignment to co-lead that with uh, other campus leaders. And um, it, uh, it uh, led to a very nice collaboration and uh, vision. And so my role now is in, in addition to, you know, doing the day-to-day -day work of the academic leadership to really make sure that uh, Outlook 2040 uh, that we're moving uh, nicely towards fulfilling the Outlook 2040 goals. It's fantastic. It's always good to come when you're doing a strategic plan and as, as leadership yeah. rather than yeah. inheriting one. Um, yeah. Can you talk, on top of everything you do, you're now also the co-executive lead for anti-racism at UBC. Can you mm -hmm. speak a little bit your role in that and sort of what's coming up the pipeline in, in UBC front in that area? Yes. Uh, so uh, basically the role is uh, to create a bridge between the work that is happening in the faculties and in different places of the institution and the executive, right? Because the executive uh, has the overall responsibility of uh, realizing the strategic goals under the leadership of the president, right? So our role is to make sure that all these, uh, all the work that is happening in different places and some of the uh, institutional priorities are actually implemented um, uh, systematically, uh, again, under the leadership of, of the president. So um, what we have now is an institutional task force, a UBC task force on anti-racism and inclusive higher education that is being co-chaired by uh, Professor Handel Wright and Professor Shirley Chow. Um, Handel Wright is based in uh, Vancouver. Shirley Chow is based in the Okanagan. And Handel is also uh, the president's advisor on uh, uh, anti-racism and higher education. So uh, they have convened um, a, a wonderful task force of about 30 people drawn from all uh, sections of the university and across the campuses. And this task is now working on identifying some of the institutional priorities uh, and they will be uh, bringing out recommendations. These recommendations will be considered by the president and then uh, uh, again what is uh, we will identify what will be our become our institutional priorities and then Ainsley and I will have the role to actually make sure that these are implemented in a in a timely fashion so that's kind of the executive role and what I find also is um, what I also find important in this part is also the um, uh, what should I say, the, the role to provide a kind of uh, a framework a, a within UBC, you know, because this is such a large and uh, complex organization, 
And different kinds of anti-racism work are working, are happening at different levels. Our role is also a little bit to sort of make sure that these are in cohesion with, with each other. They reinforce one another. And then also, you know, when people uh, are uh, a faculty member or a student group or, or uh, staff members are inspired to do something that we provide the right kind of support and the connections. So that's really our role. It's a very um, exciting, inspiring, and daunting role. Uh, but I look forward very much to, you know, once we have the recommendations, that we will really be able to um, chalk out a plan to have these things come to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's really good. We've, we've, even in the School of Biomedical Engineering, we sort of started up our own uh, uh, ready initiatives as well. And that was mm -hmm. one of the big priorities is to make sure that we're not duplicating work, that we are, mm -hmm. are working in tandem with everybody. So this, is, this is good. I'm glad we're speaking with you. Um, in a very like sort of global sense, um, what do you think is perhaps one of the biggest priorities when it comes to building an equitable academic experience? Equitable academic experience. So, um, you know, first of all, the academic experience exists in society as a whole, right? So we have to do both. So we have to look for social change and then change within the classroom. This, these two cannot be separated. But in terms of the academic experience, I will tell you what we've heard from students a lot. We're hearing that a lot from students and from faculty. So from students, it is uh, uh, there is a, a desire for a curriculum, which is more, which is broader, which speaks to their experiences, and which is not just what we call, you know, canonical, that this is the discipline, this is what you learn. And uh, the professor's job is just to make sure that you've learned um, all those things. So students want something different from that, you know, a wider thinking and so on and so forth. And faculty also want uh, that, that they have the freedom to experiment with broadening the curriculum, to bring in different uh, lived experiences and so on. So that's one part. The other part I feel is, you know, everybody wants a respectful and equitable treatment, right? But not only as individuals, but as being able to contribute to knowledge, because that's what we are here for. So that, you know, whoever I am, wherever I come from, to see, uh, to be able to find a role in, you know, contributing to uh, the, uh, the production and understanding of knowledge, that's very key to being treated equitably, right? And, and in that, there is Another piece. So uh, right now we know that a lot of the work on anti-racism requires greater representation. So we need greater representation among students and faculty. But this representation also uh, needs to acknowledge that we're not only bringing in students and faculty who are racialized or indigenous, just for the sake of inclusion, that we actually acknowledge that 
every person is bringing in something extremely valuable that um, uh, enhances all of us, right? So this kind of really inclusive thinking of everybody is has the ability to contribute something that we do, the other person doesn't have that we are all very valuable in the uh, you know in the world of knowledge this thinking needs to happen so it's not only about certain targets and quotas and numbers although that is also important but it has to come with a lot of uh, respectful thinking, uh, humility, uh, accepting people's contribution culturally and from their lived experiences and so on. So it requires a lot of change, both in institutional processes and practices, but also in our interaction with each other, right? And that I feel uh, is, it, it, the classroom is a fantastic place to enable that kind of interaction. And uh, I feel that that's extremely important for um, uh, an equitable academic experience to feel valued, to feel I have a voice, to feel that you know my voice matters, my perspective matters. That is extremely important. Absolutely. Well said. Um, so I'll do more focus. I'm, I'm hoping that you find time to do research and your scholarly work. And so what's something you're doing right now that excites you? So I'm working, as, uh, I can say a couple of things. I'm working on that um, uh, project on the role of universities. And uh, that project is in collaboration with the UN Research Institute for Social Development. And we're working with a very good uh, group of scholars, mostly from the global south who have uh, already written papers around their specific country experiences. And we are trying to bring that together in a webinar. And it's very interesting that even though people are working in, in different places, uh, they have a very, it's a very common experience that universities, um, in order to uh, um, help with social change, be it climate justice, be it social inequality. Universities need to think more holistically than just creating individuals and letting individuals get degrees. I think universities need to think much more holistically. So this is a kind of a, a common uh, view that is emerging. And this is one project I'm working on. And the other uh, work that I'm uh, doing right now is really um, writing up some of the things that you asked in my in your previous question. What is um, uh, what is equitable experience? What does equity require? Uh, how could we um, uh, make for a better experience for people, uh, and so on? So I'm doing some uh, work on that as well. That's great. Is there a book in your future? I hope so. <laughs> uh, and and there's, uh, you know, my goal is really through this project to bring out a collection with people from um, different parts of the world. But we'll see. It's, uh, you know, there's only 24 hours in the day. <laughs> so um, so I, when, I was, uh, when I was researching you, I, I saw that it was stated somewhere that you are a great believer in the power of culture and creativity to forge communities across geographic and other divides. 
Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yes, you know, it goes back to what I was saying that uh, the uh, we need to have a better understanding of one another, right? Not just um, of uh, not just of societies and structures as if sep- they're not not as if they're separated from human beings. And I think culture, you know, whether it's music, poetry, food, or um, uh, festivals or anything uh, else, it, it gives people that understanding that, um, uh, you know, that, that builds that closeness, builds those bridges. And I think that is a very powerful way of um, bringing people closer together. Miguel, I'll leave the poetry question to you as the our in-house poet, but I'll, I'll ask another thing that's come to mind. As you know, we're a new school. We're only almost four years old. So what advice would you give to a new entity starting up at UBC in terms of the anti-racism lens and EDI lens? And, you know, we're, we also want to think about action because words are sometimes cheap and we, if you can't action what you say. So what would you recommend with your experience? So the advantage of being new is you don't have to retrofit, right? You can think of, and you are already, you can think of moving forward with, um, you know, with uh, doing things differently. So I I would say that, you know, uh, uh, one thing very important in the university, in, in academia, is if you have a particular discipline, that discipline thinks of excellence in certain ways, right? And whether it's engineering or economics or literature, there are understandings of what is excellence. And some people uh, often feel that this idea of excellence is kind of fixed and it does not um, reflect on uh, the changes that has happened in the world or how people with different uh, situations, a different structural, uh, facing different structural barriers, uh, might feel diminished by this idea of excellence, right? And this is often uh, some authors have called it, um, you know, kind of thinking def, uh, thinking in terms of deficit. So here is my idea of excellence. You are able to meet the idea of excellence. Somebody else not able to meet that idea of excellence. Uh, that person is deficient in some way. Uh, we have to help them. That's one way of thinking of a discipline. The Another way of thinking about a discipline is that perhaps our criteria of excellence need to be revisited. Perhaps the discipline evolved 100 years ago. Now we have a whole new context of climate or international relations or whatever. So how do we, uh, how should we, or should we think about excellence in a different way, right? So this opens up a whole different um, way. I mean, you've seen it in fields of genetics and medicine where this whole idea of excellence is, is being revisited. And it's, it's a slow change because academics, academia is traditional, right? But you have the opportunity 
to think about it in a, in a different way that let's really think of what is excellence or can there be multiple ways of thinking about uh, excellence and this is not about lowering standards you often hear this phrase it's not about lowering standards it's about going through an academic critical self-reflection to see are do our standards fit the contemporary world or are there different? So that's what I would think is very important in a new discipline, in a new department, that we constantly think of what excellence means. I love that. Yes. Love that idea. Great. Um, uh, okay, so this is a, a personal question for me. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know that you're a lover of poetry. Um, I love encountering new poets. So are you reading anything particularly moving right now? Uh, do you have any personal favorites you could recommend? I have many favorites, but one uh, poet that I've been reading a lot recently is Joy Harjo. She is the, the first um, Native American uh, poet laureate in the States. And if you don't have any more questions, I wouldn't mind reading a short poem from her for the podcast. Please, that's fantastic. But we can, we can end with that, but you know, it'll be... Uh, more useful than me saying more things. That's the best okay. thing. Go for it. Okay. So yeah. I have to go back to my, I'll just read it from the screen. I don't have it by heart, right? Sure. So this is a poem by uh, Joy Harjo, who I said, as I told you, is the United States Poet Laureate. And she is a member of the Muscova Creek Nation. Her poem is called Remember. <clears throat> Remember the sky that you were born under. Know each of the star stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth how your mother struggled to give you form and breath, your evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father. He's your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are. Red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth. We are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk to them, listen to them. They're alive poems. Remember the wind, remember her voice. She knows the origin of the universe. Remember you're all people and all people are you. Remember you are this universe and this universe is you. Remember all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember the dance languages that life is. Remember. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Uh, I have Thank goosebumps. You. That's great. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cool. We get to keep that for the podcast, right? We can... <laughs> Yeah, you sure. can keep it for the podcast. Best That's ending so ever for sure.